Welcome to the Kindred Church Podcast, where we talk about God, faith, and real life. This is Daniel Childs. I'm the host of the podcast and the pastor of Kindred Church. To learn more about how to connect with our community, check out our website at www.kindrednc.church. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're glad you've tuned in for today's episode. Now, let's talk about God. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the service, uh, today is Christ the King Sunday. And uh, I'll be honest, I kind of struggled this week as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to say in this sermon, um, because today we're supposed to talk about Christ as our King, uh, but in our culture, we don't really do kings, right? We're, we're kind of over kings. In fact, our country was established when we rebelled against our king and we set up a democracy because there was a whole lot of things that we couldn't agree on, but, but one thing we could all agree on was that we didn't want any kings. And King George said, you'll be back. Um, that's a Hamilton reference, uh, but we definitely have not gone back. And so for us, uh, this whole idea of having a king, it, it can seem antiquated and, and irrelevant and, and maybe even kind of like backwards. And for that reason, there have been some Christians uh, lately who have advocated just kind of dropping this language of Christ as king altogether. And I hear that and, and I sympathize with that. But nevertheless, uh, Jesus pretty clearly identifies himself as a king. And so rather than tell Jesus he's wrong about his own identity, seems like maybe not a good idea. Uh, instead, I think it's better for us to, to try to understand what Jesus meant when he referred to himself as uh, a king. Because as we're going to see, uh, Jesus is just very different than the kings of this world. Uh, well, here's what I really want us to, to focus on today as we're thinking about the, the kingship of Jesus and, and what this means for us. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that we call Jesus a king is because Jesus has a kingdom. Uh, it's called the kingdom of God. If, if you grew up in church, if you spent much time in and around the, the church, you, you've probably heard church people using this phrase. Uh, church people will often talk about building the kingdom or advancing the kingdom, or sometimes it becomes like a, an adjective and, and church people will say, well, that ministry over there, that's really doing kingdom work. Maybe you've heard this. We, we, we throw this phrase around, but, but what does this really mean? That, that's what I want us to think about today. Uh, what exactly is the kingdom of God? Uh, is this a a particular geographical place that, that we're talking about. Uh, there have been some Christians throughout church history that have tried to interpret the kingdom of God that way. Um, that usually turns out badly as Christians say, well, this country is the kingdom of God or that country is the, the kingdom of God. Uh, is the kingdom of God a particular form of government? There have been Christians who've interpreted it that way and, and that usually turns out badly. Is the kingdom of God like some spiritual reality that's completely disconnected from, from this world. Some Christians have interpreted it that way, and that also tends to, to turn out badly. But, but if the kingdom is not a particular geographical place, if it's not a form of government, if it's not a, a purely spiritual reality, then, then what exactly is it? Now, at this point, uh, if I haven't already put you to sleep with all of this, uh, you, you may be thinking to yourself, Daniel, who cares? Uh, I do not lie awake at night wondering how to define the, the kingdom of God. I have bills to pay and deadlines and family to take care of. And, and how does any of this matter to me, you may be wondering. Uh, it's a good question. And, and here's why I think it matters to, to you and to me. Uh, do you remember the very first words out of Jesus's mouth? 
Uh, when Jesus begins his public ministry, uh, it's around age 30, we think, in his life. Uh, what was Jesus doing prior to age 30? We're not exactly sure. We can, we can only guess, really. Um, but around age 30, that's when Jesus started traveling around, preaching and teaching and healing and performing miracles and, and all of that. And as he's first starting out with all of that, before he even has any disciples or, or any followers, the very first words out of his mouth, uh, this is in Mark uh, chapter 1, Jesus says, the time has arrived, the kingdom of God is now at hand. The kingdom of God is now at hand. In other words, Jesus is explaining this. He's making his very first impression that, that what he's all about, that his mission is to bring in this new kingdom. And he's saying that, hey guys, everything else I'm about to do, everything else I'm about to say is all about bringing in this kingdom. And then throughout Jesus' ministry, he was constantly talking about the kingdom. He was constantly telling parables about the kingdom. He would do miracles to show what the kingdom is like. He was all about the kingdom. So here's what this means for us. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to join Jesus in his mission, then it's kind of important for us to know what is this kingdom that he's about and, and that we're supposed to be about, right? Because if we misunderstand the kingdom, then we'll misunderstand our entire mission. Uh, so the stakes are, are pretty high as, as we're thinking about what is the kingdom. Um, you know, somebody once asked Gandhi uh, to, to give his thoughts and, and his impressions of the Christian faith. You know, Gandhi, of course, was, was not a Christian. And Gandhi responded, in effect, he said, well, I like Jesus, uh, but he said, you Christians are so unlike your Christ. You Christians are so unlike your Christ. Uh, that stings, uh, at least to me, but I think it's a, a pretty fair critique. It's harmful when we Christians are out of sync with the mission of Jesus, and people notice. Uh, you know, if you read national surveys about people's attitudes towards us, towards, towards Christians, uh, one of the most common critiques people have of us is that they say, we're hypocrites. They say, you Christians, you know, you, you talk a big game about Jesus, but you don't look like Jesus. You don't act like Jesus. You don't seem to be about the same kinds of things that Jesus is about. And that's why, you know, one reason why more people don't, don't come to church. They say we're, we're hypocrites. So it's, it's harmful when Christians are out of sync with the mission of Jesus. So uh, since Jesus tells us pretty clearly that his mission is all about bringing in the kingdom of God, uh, we as his followers need to know what is that kingdom that we're supposed to be all about. Now, having said all of that, having said all of that, uh, if you find yourself feeling a, a little unclear about the kingdom of God, if you find yourself a little confused about all of this, you're actually in really good company. Because uh, throughout Jesus' ministry, even though he was always talking about this, this kingdom, uh, nevertheless, people were very confused about what Jesus meant, including Jesus' own disciples. Uh, a little historical background here to, to help us kind of understand what was, what was going on. Uh, at this time, back in the, the first century, uh, Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. 
And so the Jews in Israel, uh, they hated the Romans for some pretty obvious reasons. The, the Romans were there oppressing them, mistreating them. The Romans were imposing these, these crushing taxes upon the, the Jewish people. Uh, and maybe the worst part of all was that the Romans would kind of taunt the Jews uh, about their God. And, and they would say, you know, that, that our Roman gods are, are superior, obviously, to your Jewish God. Because they would say, otherwise, you know, if your God is so great, why is your God allowing you to be occupied by us? And, and that was humiliating for, for the Jewish people to hear. And so at this time, uh, the Jewish people were, they were praying, that they were hoping that God would act in some decisive way, that God would rescue them, that God would put these arrogant Romans in their place. They were yearning for this. And so you can imagine... When Jesus comes on the scene, and remember, Jesus is not a Roman. Jesus is a Jew. So Jesus comes on the scene, and he starts talking all about this, this new kingdom. Uh, people just assumed that Jesus was talking about a revolution. But people assumed that Jesus must have this plan that, that he's going to, like, at some point raise up a militia, and he's going to go and overthrow the, the Romans, and he's going to install himself as king of the Jews over this, this new kingdom of God. That's what people were hearing. And throughout Jesus's ministry, he, he was constantly trying to subvert those expectations and rework those expectations and redefine the, this, under, this idea of the, the kingdom of God. But, but nevertheless, uh, nobody really understood it, uh, including Jesus's own disciples. Well, fast forward uh, to the end of Jesus's ministry, and uh, Jesus takes his disciples and they go to the capital city of Jerusalem. And uh, they go there for the Passover festival. And the, the Passover festival, especially at that time, was kind of like Independence Day is for, for us in, in this country. So there's all this nationalism in the air. There's all this patriotism in the air. And, and Jesus rolls in with his crew, with his disciples, right? And so uh, people are excited. Uh, that they think, wow, okay, this is it, enough talk, you know, now he's, he's finally going to act. He, he's finally going to raise up the militia. He's finally going to overthrow the Romans and, and install himself as king. And people were, were excited for this. Now, not the religious leaders. Uh, the religious leaders hated Jesus because he was constantly critiquing them. But the average people, the average Jewish people in and around Jerusalem were, were pumped. And so as Jesus heads into the city of Jerusalem, the, the crowds are like chanting his name and they're cheering him on and everybody's watching and waiting to see, okay, what's he going to do? When's he going to make his move? Well, Jesus gets inside of the city and he doesn't give like a, a call to arms as people were initially expecting. And, and he doesn't march down to the, the Roman headquarters or anything like that. But instead, Jesus goes to the temple and people think, well, what's he doing? You know, I mean, I guess he needs to, he needs to say his prayers before the fighting starts. That's good, I guess, you know, get right with God and, and, and all that. Okay, okay. But Jesus gets to the temple, and all he does is he just starts leading a Bible study. And that's it, like for, for the whole day. And then Jesus comes back the next day, and he comes into town, and, and he doesn't give a call to arms, and he, he doesn't march down to the, the Roman headquarters. Instead, he goes right back to the temple, and, and once again, he just starts leading a Bible study. And people are like, what's he doing? What, what the heck? Uh, well, well, this happens uh, again and again for, for the next several days. 
And then finally, the, the religious leaders there, they were fed up with Jesus because he was constantly critiquing them. And so they decide they're going to have Jesus arrested. And uh, one night, they, they kind of corner Jesus. Uh, Jesus is by himself with his disciples out in this garden just outside the city. And the religious leaders get some guards together and they, they come out to arrest Jesus there. So the guards come out and they, they pull out their handcuffs. And by this point, the disciples, like, they are ready to, to fight. And so they, they pull out their swords, and they start swinging, and, and immediately, Jesus says, stop. He tells them, put those swords away. He says, there's not going to be any fighting. And we can imagine how confused the disciples must have been as they, they watch Jesus just sort of calmly allow himself to be arrested. Well, the religious leaders, they, they then take Jesus to a, a holding cell and they start interrogating him and they torture him and, and they beat him. And finally, they decide they, they really just want to have Jesus killed. And uh, for complicated political reasons, they, they need the Romans to do that for them. So they end up dragging Jesus to the Roman governor, whose name is Pontius Pilate. And we get this scene. That's what we read about a few minutes ago from, from John chapter 18. Uh, Pilate brings Jesus into the palace to question him, to figure out what, what is all of this, what, what's going on here. And uh, Pilate looks at Jesus, you know, this, this now bloodied, half-naked prisoner, and Pilate says, uh, in effect, uh, help me out here, Jesus. Uh, help me understand. You know, you, you, you say that you're a king, but you have no army, and you apparently have no interest in fighting, and and like, where's your kingdom exactly, Jesus? To which Jesus responds, well, my kingdom is not of this world, he says. And Pilate is like, what? Is that like, is that some kind of riddle? I, I don't get it. And Pilate's losing patience and, and he doesn't really see Jesus as a, a huge threat. And so he's ready to release Jesus. But the religious leaders insist that Jesus be killed. And in order to keep the peace, Pilate orders that Jesus should be crucified. And as Jesus dies... The religious leaders are, are relieved because they've finally shut him up. Uh, the Romans are, are relieved that they didn't have to deal with any actual revolt. Jesus' disciples are sad, of course, and, and deeply confused. And everybody's just kind of left wondering, why did he call himself a king? And why did he make such a big deal of, of this kingdom when, when he just allowed himself to be arrested and, and killed without even putting up a fight? And as they put Jesus' lifeless body into the tomb, that, that, that question remained unanswered. That, that question of, of what exactly is the kingdom of God? Well, if that was the end of the story of Jesus, then that question would still be unanswered. And Jesus would probably have gone down in history as like the weirdest, most enigmatic, failed revolutionary ever. But that's not where the story of Jesus ends, of course, right? Because then comes Easter. And on Easter, everything changes. Uh, it took the disciples a, a while to fully wrap their minds around this still. But on Easter, they saw the risen Jesus. They talked with him. They, they spent time with him. They, they ate with him. They saw that Jesus had been transformed from death into life. They saw that, that as a result, evil and sin and despair had been transformed into hope and, and into to healing. 
And it began to dawn on the disciples that, that actually they had been thinking about the kingdom of God way, way too narrowly. Now, the kingdom of God is, is not a particular geographical place. It's not a form of government. It's, it's not a spiritual reality that's separate from this world. But they finally began to realize that the kingdom of God is this, this transformation. That the kingdom of God is the transformation of the whole world into the world that God intends for it to be. I'm going to say that again because it took the disciples a while to get this, but, but once they get it, it, it finally, once they got it, rather, it, it finally clicked. The kingdom of God is the transformation of this world into the world that God intends for it to be. And once the disciples got that, that they could look back over Jesus' ministry and they could see that, oh yeah, th this is actually what he was about all along. You know, why did Jesus go around healing the sick? Well, because God doesn't intend there to be sickness in this world. And so Jesus transforms it. Why does Jesus go around feeding the hungry? Because God doesn't intend for people to go hungry in this world. So Jesus transforms it. Why does Jesus oppose injustice? Because God doesn't intend for there to be injustice in this world. And so Jesus transforms it. Why does Jesus die for our sin? Because God doesn't intend for there to be sin in this world. And so Jesus transforms it. Why does Jesus rise from the dead? Because God doesn't intend for there to be death in this world. And so Jesus transforms it. The kingdom of God is the transformation of this world into the world that God intends for it to be. And one of the reasons that we call Jesus king is because he leads that transformation. He makes it possible. He shows us what it looks like. He calls us to join him in that work. That's what Jesus means when he talks about the kingdom of God. Well, as we think together about what does this mean for us right now here today, uh, it seems to me that this would be a great place for us to talk about social justice, right? Th this would be a great place to talk about how as, as Christians we have this kingdom mission to, to transform the world around us through social justice. And that's true, and that's important, and that would feel really good. Because let's be honest, here at, at Kindred Church, like, you know, we, we love a good call to, to social justice. Uh, and yet, as, as true and good and, and right as, as that would be, I want to take a slightly different direction here. And I want us to think a little less this morning about the, the transformation that needs to happen out there in the world. And I want us to think a little more about the transformation that needs to happen in here, uh, in our own hearts. Because, you know, there, there's, yes, there, there's certainly lots, lots of things in this world that are not as God intends for them to be. But there's also a lot within my own heart that, that's not as God intends for it to be. And so my heart needs transformation as much as this world needs transformation. My heart needs Christ the King as much as this world needs Christ the King. Uh, in a minute, uh, we're going to sing together this song called uh, King of My Heart. King of My Heart. It's a beautiful song. Some of you know it. We've, we've sung it here at Kindred before. And as we're singing this song, uh, I want to invite each one of us to, to be reflecting just for a few minutes on this question. And that is, what parts of my heart are not as God intends for them to be right now. 
And what parts of my heart need to be transformed today? And, and I don't know what this is for, for you. You know, it could be that um, your heart is broken right now because of something that you've experienced, something that you're going through, and, and so your heart needs to be healed today. Uh, it could be that you're carrying some kind of bitterness in your heart towards somebody else in your life, and that needs to be released today. It could be that your heart is fixated on, on some particular desire that is actually unhealthy, that, that is actually harmful to you or harmful to, to somebody else, and, and that needs to be transformed. What parts of my heart are not as God intends for them to be? And as we're thinking about that question and, and singing this song, King of My Heart, I want us to remember that Jesus is not just our king out there, out in the world, though that's true. But Jesus is also our king in here. Jesus is the king of our heart. And Jesus wants nothing more than to transform our hearts into the hearts that God wants for them to be. That way we can be fully in sync with the mission of Jesus. And in all parts of our lives, we can live into the kingdom of God. Let me pray for us. Oh, Christ, our King, Lord, we, uh, we, we confess that the whole idea of, of kings uh, kind of seems a little irrelevant to some of us. It makes others of us a, a, a bit nervous. Uh, so we're very grateful. We can all be glad that you subvert and, and you transform what kingship means, Lord. We're so glad that we have you as our King to, to transform this world into what it should be and to transform our hearts and our lives into what you intend for them to be. Uh, Lord, I, I pray today for uh, all those whose hearts are broken. God, would you transform them? I, I pray for those today, uh, God, whose, whose hearts uh, are bitter, angry, uh, jealous, weighed down, with negative emotions, God, would you, would you transform them? God, I pray today for, for all of us whose hearts are, are fixated on the, the wrong things, things that are hurtful to us and, and sometimes to others as well. God, would you, would you transform our hearts and then help us to be agents of your transformation out in the world as well. Uh, we love you, Jesus. Help us to fully live into your kingdom. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. You consider sharing it with a friend who might also enjoy it. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast here and give us a rating that helps us connect with more listeners. This free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your giving changes lives and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.